welcome to Find the Path Podcast, actual play of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path, After Party 65. Woo. I did All it. Right. <laughs> no mistakes, bravo. Rick, I heard a little golf clap, a little golf clap of everybody like for doing it right. Everybody gets a little like golf yes. clap. <laughs> it's it's better when we make the shenanigans mistakes. I think so anyway. <laughs> I thought it through in my head and I was like, I can do it this time, and I did. It's only taken what two hundred episodes <laughs> to be able yeah. to do it. <laughs> I mean, in y'all's defense, it's. Yeah, you only do the intros in this after parties, and then you rotate through all four of you for the after parties. So you guys have only really done like fifteen after parties or fifteen intros yourselves. And I can't even remember what happened yesterday. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's that same thing where like my my GM voice sounds a lot like Rick because I have a lot of the same things because I've heard it from him so much. So it's kind of the same thing where I just picked up the way that he says it. Mm-hmm. Yes, much to people's chagrin pertaining towards the word wood. <laughs> we got past that eventually. <laughs> we yeah. do not speak that word. <laughs> we never speak in that tense. <laughs> the only wood we say now is tree flesh. Never yep. figurative language, never. Um, yes, but this episode, we are talking about episode 193, 194, and 195. Ticking our way up to 200. We're getting yep. there. We're almost to the, well, it's still triple digits. We're going to the big 200. Indeed. Uh, Yeah, so in episode 193, we kicked off by entering the creepy, creepy fire crypt where we awakened the eternal captive's haunt, which was all of the the people that were chained up to the statues. Citra figured out that you could actually just like help them be free to deal with the haunt, which was really cool. And so that's what everybody did, except Hollis, who went insane and mostly wandered around. (laughs) Everyone else was helpful. Uh, after freeing all of those spirits, um, we broke into the crypt of the Pharaoh's Fang. I was going to throw out one thing, actually, with that haunt. Mm-hmm. I messed it up. Uh-oh. 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 Welcome what? to the Find the Path Confession Hour. Bum-bum. <laughs> no. <laughs> Rick steps into the confessional. Forgive me, GM yes. gods, for I've sinned. <laughs> Forgive me, Abadar, for I've done a rule wrong. <laughs> he would care Abadar about can suck it, but anyway, what? Very long story short is... Um, I really liked the visual image. I, you know, you begin to reach the end of an episode for people that do the episodes. Uh, and I'm looking for something to kind of end it on a, a fun little teaser to kind of get people excited for the next part. And so that's where we ended it with everyone, you know, crying out for water, freedom, and all the rest of that at the end of uh, 192. And so uh, how it's actually supposed to run. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How it's actually supposed to run is that you walk in there, at which point you can make a heal check to believe that these people are alive. Now, you, of course, get to make the perception check to notice, again, that they're ghosts, which you guys eventually do and I ran through normally. However, it basically means that you can rouse them with a heal check, at which point you have two rounds after the party aids one or more of the chained slaves, where the others begin to stir. And then you have uh, six rounds after that before the insanity starts. And so I actually ended up making that a faster track. Thank you. Although I did enjoy (laughs) trying to hit Sudi. It was pretty fun. (laughs) Trying. Yeah. They don't even mention in here, however, the the possibility of breaking the chains. They only state the disabling device on the chains to free them will release the spirits. So I went ahead and added in breaking the chains where I was just like, maybe it's a 
a ghostly thing where the chains are not real, but you can believe them. We're breaking them. the metaphysical chains yeah. that are like, you know, mentally yeah. holding them back, you know. Which is quite And sugar right. got to be yeah. crazy. It was good. That was a fun time. It allows everyone to participate, which is one of the things that I like about hazards in 2E a little bit more than traps in 1E. Where yeah. it or haunts in one E for that matter, where it allows everyone a chance to participate, not just this person can channel and our rogue happens to have an ability that lets her sneak attack ghosts. Mm. Yeah, it, it's not it's none of that, oh, this is a haunt and half the party leaves yeah. because they are literally <laughs> useless, you know. Cower. What's important is that Sugar got to deal one non lethal point of damage to Sudi. Sure. It was a crowning achievement. Yep. The most damage she's ever she's ever dealt to anyone. <laughs> Well, to anyone that was, you know, with class levels. Here, here's my question for you, Rick. I don't know if you know the answer to this. How many parties got TPK'd by everybody going insane and bludgeoning each other to death? I don't actually, well, I, I don't know. I didn't actually see anything for the the Eternal Captives coming up on the... Usually, if you go to Paisa's website, you can check the message boards for each individual adventure path, and they'll usually have an obituaries section. It gives you a good idea of how dangerous something is. Just, which is why I always ask, like, how many people got TPK'd by this? Because, like, there's the obituaries list, all the crazy scenarios and all the things that went wrong to, to cause the TPK. Mm, yeah. All so in this case, I don't think it was too bad. bad. Dice rolls. From there, uh, we found that, you know, one of the, the rooms wasn't exactly square, which tipped us off that there was probably a secret entrance. And then there was. And we found the... Crypt of the Pharaoh's Fang, a.k.a. the Nosferatu guy, uh, and his creepy sarcophagus that only had little baby holes in it and no lid that came off. I will say one of the interesting things on that map, actually, is the map itself wasn't fully square. Like, they had, like, a little extra on there. So, like... Well, that's why when I was busy doing nothing helpful, I was like, hmm, that map looks wrong. I know, right? But I love <laughs> that they put that detail, and we have kind of been trained to have very precise walls all throughout this place because, like... Well, it's Chisasek. <laughs> everything yeah. has been precisely measured and planned by Chisasek, and then you find this one thing that's not perfectly measured, and you're like, all right, that's sus. Chisasek yep. was a man of exacting detail. That's he, right, he was. he was. With all of his death traps. I, I once again suggested <laughs> that we just make it flush. Nobody can ever get on board with my flesh plan. It, it'll, it's always going to be the last plan. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's we won't gonna get there. It's just going to be gross. Um and then um, we shrank it instead because we were like, well, we don't have gaseous form. We can't really glide through it because it's worked stone. Uh, it doesn't have a lid. Breaking it might break everything inside. And so it's we. It's super magical. So. We, it wasn't magical. It was mundane. No, sorry, and so we made it magical because you could shrink it. We shrank yep. it and turned it into cloth, which I did because it was funny. But in the following episode, um, after finding the cool compartment underneath where it had like the staff with a snake on it and a kilt. We could just cut the sarcophagus, which was pretty brilliant. It's definitely not a kilt, <laughs> I don't think, is it? It's it's a kilt. It's, it's kilt. like a skirt is it thing. Actually, it is exactly a bejeweled a kilt. linen kilt. Huh. And a kilt is any sort of knee-length men's dress skirt. But yes, Citra used a kukri to carefully slice the top off of the, the sarcophagus before we made it big again. Okay, yeah. all right. So how much of a surprise was that, Rick, whenever we were like, let's just do some little cloth surgery to get the yeah, top it's like, off? Yeah, like some embroidery work. <laughs> how were you supposed to open that? In the Yeah, how were you supposed to open that also? Well, first off, it's the interesting thing about high-level play, where sometimes the book will present you with a problem, and then that's it. Literally, the book just simply says any attempt to move or open the sarcophagus reveals that it and the platform are actually made from a single piece of limestone. It then goes on to describe the rest of the, you know, what's inside of it and all the rest of that stuff. 
but no means by which to open it because it's like, well, the party will figure it out. Maybe they'll disintegrate it. Maybe they'll, you know, transmute it. Maybe they'll cast pass wall on the lid of it and just reach inside. Who knows? Mm. Yep. You know, there's all sorts of magical solutions or non-magical solutions where it's just like maybe the fighter with his adamantine greatsword will slice through the top of it in one clean sweep. Who knows? Uh, as huh. far as the transmutation effect and everything else, I just eventually decided, you know, it's not necessarily covered by the rules. And so I went, okay, well, we'll go ahead and do something interesting with this because you can still interact with it as a transmuted object. Yeah. Like if you shrink object on a statue, you break off an arm and then you return it back to normal size, the statue will be missing the arm. So it made a degree of sense. So I just decided that I'd set the DC at basically 20 and that for every one that you felled that DC by, it would break one of the 20 vials of perfume inside oh. of it. Yeah. Oh, and he, smart. And he didn't fail anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like that because that's like that was that was fair. There was chance that we could we could fail that. And not get that sweet, sweet loot. It's just costing you treasure at that point because the the perfume will get exposed and basically be you know, of less value. But even if you broke all of them, you could scoop it up in your hands and quickly run over and shove it inside of the uh, the offering bowl. I, lo I love the thought did. that we didn't shrink it and we just broke it and we broke all the vials and we're running through this extremely <laughs> hot area with this perfume cupped in our palms, just yeah. like running through it. And if we hadn't gone to the other side and we're triggering all those traps, it would be even worse. <laughs> Thankfully, wow. like my disabled device and my dexterity is high enough that that was probably very unlikely to happen, but. Yeah, That'd be, uh, that would have been so interesting if Masika hadn't already like closed the elemental gate where it's mm. still super, super hot in there and it's an right? alcohol-based perfume, so it's like it's bursting into flames in your hands. <laughs> wow. Uh, there could have been, been some, some crazy shenanigans if we it did this in delightful. a different order. It was still pretty yep. delightful because like, I'd had shrink audit object for a long time and I really hadn't ever used it because it only works on mundane stuff. And then it just worked out perfectly and then Rachel brought the whole let's cut it. And I was like, I never even thought of that. So, like that I was awesome. thinking like what Rick was describing though it's like well when you if you shrunk something and you broke it and you made it big again it would still be broken so like that was my thought process I was like so if I mess with it in this state theoretically it should be that way when it's big we should shrink all <laughs> things make them small cut them with scissors make them big again and then that's how we trim all of our trees and our bushes <laughs> <laughs> I do imagine it's like, you know, those those people that uh, like create the miniatures. Yes. You know, that stuff's not easy. So I can imagine yep. like Citra just sitting there sweating. It's already hot and humid in there. Thankfully, she's got her helm on to like negate some of it. But she's probably just like sweating, trying not to just like ruin everything. You've got that really tense music playing. <laughs> that's just like yeah. the that, that like monotone thing that just gives you kind of anxiety that they put the, in like uh, horror movies. You got the magnifying glass so you can see it a little better. That's yeah, right. exactly. It was tense My for mind like immediately one went second. to the, uh, you're about to drown music from Sonic. <laughs> oh, I hate that. That makes me so sad. That music no. is the worst. <laughs> so um, the funny, I think the funniest part about all of it is that getting the perfume open this like closet of other mm -hmm. stuff and it had loot yep. in it, but it did not have the key. It really, we could have bypassed it entirely. Uh, yep. If we had just pulled the door down in the other one. Yeah. Uh, so we went from there. Uh, we, we looted that little hidden chamber and it had like statues and stuff and like magic aura spells cast on little statuettes. Yeah. And then we were like, well, OK, uh, we put the flowers and the, the statue next to it, went back to the red door and yep. uh, pulled this time down. And OK, here's my other question. That's how you're supposed to open that door is just pulling it down with strength checks. Yep. How dare the wizard put How something manual in here? How is Hockatap supposed to do that? Was he just dimension door through it? 
I mean, servants cast a summoning spell and summon. I mean, he's all about elemental summoning stuff and <laughs> guess, everything else. True, so you yeah. elemental do this thing. Also, keep in mind that this is supposed to be the command center for the supernaturally strong Nosferatu. Mm. Yeah, well, and also, I guess that in that case, it kind of makes sense if you're looking at it as like an attack platform and like, what if they breach this place? This is like, you know, the one place that you could sink, you know, four of our pyramids with and all that jazz. Yeah. It, regardless, we got it open. Uh, we went through there and we found Inhetef, the Nosferatu, with three Baycocks, everybody's favorite high level fight. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's where that episode ended, but we picked up essentially there. Um, yeah. And that fight and, was wild. And I know we've talked about how much we hate Baycocks, but we hate Baycocks. <laughs> Invisible Baycocks? Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. There's an interesting side note. The Baycocks actually had names, but they never came up. They actually, what? It's rare that they actually give them names. Yeah, What's they the deal with these Baycocks? Why are they in here? What thin justification did they use to spring three of them upon us? They were like his lieutenants, his lieutenants. Funny enough, they go into two full paragraphs pertaining towards Inhotef. Wow. And the Baycocks, other than getting names, there's a single sentence that says, the Nosferatu is accompanied by three Baycocks as well. Ah, okay. <laughs> Are they just his friends, I guess? Okay, well, I, look, I guess. he was locked in here for a long, long time, y'all. He's he buried got, with his entourage. Yeah, he needed to have some friends. They've been playing D&D. &D. They've just been using stone tablets. Yeah, they're level like 58,000. <laughs> it's over 9,000. <laughs> they finished all the adventure paths. Those yes. <laughs> oh, man. Could you imagine if you had 2,000 years to play through all of the Paizo adventures? Man, we'd get all, through all of them easy. That's true. I really should have done that. It should have been like, you walk into the Crypt of Fire and the walls are covered with complex hieroglyphs <laughs> detailing improbable and ridiculous stories of a vast number. <laughs> Always a small four. Groups. That was a missed comedic opportunity because we would have rolled with that. That would have been amazing. Yeah, yeah it is what it is. What, is, what are, are these hieroglyphs about a half troll summoner? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> Why oh, is the man. big bad evil guy always some chaotic person wants to yeah. overthrow the, the kingdom? What's up with that? It's very routine. Yep. Disrupting the inundation. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Can't no, that'd that. be a big one. But yeah, so invisible baycocks suck. <laughs> yeah, the whole even if you fail, you're scared thing sucks. Mm. I'm just, mm. I'm just saying like baycocks are one of those things that punch way above their challenge rating because three shots, paralysis the fear effect thing that they've got going. Um, yeah, they're Plus horrible. an inquisitor that makes them all greater invisible. Yep. That, that was just an extra <laughs> F you yeah. to the party. Like that was above and beyond cruel. If we didn't have C invisibility, we would have been in so much trouble. Yes, that's yep. why I cast that every day. Every day, always. You don't always need it, but when you need it, you need yes. it. Well, and it's like, you know, I, I Hollis didn't have a lot of spells going into that fight, but I had my Dispel Magic still, and so I at least could make some of them visible, and then it was kind of like I was paralyzed forever. So <laughs> thankfully, Citra also got to be invisible, and Masika yep. had the cool sunbeam, like, out of the palm thing. I have such much many of those. Yeah, super yeah, good. Yeah, like, honestly, Inatef's bonuses and everything else are obscene. Yes. And I really didn't get to showcase that much, because I think, like, I think fighting against Sudi, he had something close to a plus 30 oh, for his Bane. main attack. Yeah, I think it was like plus 30, plus time. 25, plus 20. Like it would be against anyone that he can Bane against. Yeah. Well, because again, like I absolutely love the Inquisitor and combining things like, you know, because I, I think he uses a, 
his default, I'm going to say, is justice and mm. destruction. That makes yeah. sense. Extra damage, extra to hit. The classics. Because, yeah, I think at one point he did Catfolk Bane, and I was like, oh, I'm going to hurt. Unfortunately, yeah. I didn't get to do any of his other tactics. Like, uh, he has Unwilling Shield, which is always a fun one. Oh, <laughs> that's a fun one. Uh, which is basically just shield other, but you cast it on enemies. <laughs> so... Yeah, we fought that guy and his little Baycock friends who outlived him uh, and then put him to rest, as it were, because, you know, Nosferatu. Yeah. I like to think he was very surprised when he found his sarcophagus, like, cut open. <laughs> it's like, wait, wait, it has a lid? It does now. I'm a, you know, going to say something very inappropriate. I stopped myself. <laughs> mm, mm. Uh, and then we went and learned about the Ruby Pyramid, all the stuff it can do. Uh, the fact that it's controlling all the other four pyramids. Well, three. There used to be four, but we destroyed one of those. Sure. And yep. we had another one of those message walls, and Narmer sent a fake message to try to tell all the pyramids to, like, get away from the city so we can deactivate them and, and make them fall down. So we'll see how that goes next time. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious to see how it goes down. <laughs> I mean, Narmer's bluff worked. is pretty, pretty okay. Yes. Best in the party. Well, and hopefully when we pull them out of the sky, they will have moved far enough away that they don't crush anything or anyone. Yeah, I think we would feel a little bad if we did that. So hopefully it doesn't bad. happen. There's going to be so many extremely powerful and dead just chilling when we're all done here. Yeah, well, you know, we got cleanup to do in the epilogue. I mean, it's the fine. hope is a, a fair number of them might get banged up by uh, the minions, plummet maybe. from the sky. Because apparently they're high enough that they can't be seen. So they... Be going yeah. at terminal velocity when they hit the ground. Leave something for the other adventuring groups out there. What are the dog soldiers doing? Yeah, true. Well, if you drop the ones outside Wati, there's a whole bunch of inquisitors out there that can go mess with them. I was going to say, yeah, sure. of the spire <laughs> just going to go out there and be like, all right, let's go to work, boys. Well, because the, the the dead city is, you know, pretty chill right now after all I was the... like, they're looking for their next cause. It's like, all right, yeah. guys, do, do we want to relocate? Like, what, what's the next great undead, you know, place? Oh, hey, look, a pyramid. Thunk. Wait for the inevitable uh, Pathfinder Society scenario. Yeah. Pathfinder <laughs> Society, they'll fix the problem. Yes. I don't fix. know if I trust the Pathfinder <laughs> Society to fix that particular problem, but okay. No, no. Well, I mean, we, you know, yeah. when we're finished with what we're doing, we can always go make sure everything's dead. Like, all real right. dead. All right, they Rick, definitely would us, have a half-troll summoner. Tell us all about this pages and pages and pages of backstory this Nosferatu had, apparently. Oh, no. Was, it, I think he had all of two paragraphs. Yeah, two paragraphs, yeah. Yeah, what was his deal? How did he get to be following Sekhmet? Yeah, and why is That's he hanging weird. around with Hakatep? Yeah, because he joined late, didn't he? Seemed like. Yeah, I mean, he was just a, he's a devoted follower of Sekhmet. Ancient goddess, because uh, Sekhmet is the Osirian goddess of fire, vengeance mm -hmm. and war. Fair, fair. Okay. Was doing the whole Inquisitor thing long before Hakatep. One of the few faiths that's actually allied with the Sky Pharaoh's uh, faith of Set is the Church of Sekhmet, which revel okay. in the wars that Hakatep demanded. Uh, so basically, it's like, oh, yep. you want to have a giant war? We love war. That sounds like something we'd be down with. I was going to say, Sekhmet, Sekhmet's kind of a Syrian Gorum with some like addition, you know, domains are all different and stuff, but like they, they line up on the war thing. Well, she's very much, she's the goddess of slaughter. It is not just like, the complicated thing of war. It's, she's segments the goddess of like bloodlust. That's really right. it. You know, he was so effective that he was dubbed the Sky Pharaoh's Fang. Well, he had a cool staff that gave me an AC boost, and I like that very much about him. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. We'll find out how Narmer's message went next episode, and I guess we'll move on to some emails. Yeah. Woo, Alrighty. Excellent. The first email is from 
Gray from California, who is not currently placed, but says that they are not super familiar with Galarian, uh, but they are near an Air Force base in California that is just an hour drive from San Francisco, a port town and close to Napa, also known as Wine Valley. Hey, Napa know-how. So I'm thinking vineyards. <laughs> Napa know-how. All right. I was like, please, somebody laugh at that. Nope. I'm thinking Taldor. I'm thinking vineyards. Isn't there a vineyard Taldor place? There's got to be. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I know that there are a couple of Taldane families that are really big into uh, into wine and all the rest of that. So, I mean. One on the coast would be preferable, but I have no idea. Yeah, it's usually the southern coast, uh, the wineries and vineyards of the Zinmar scrublands. So, sounds cool. It's fun to say. Uh, yeah, Zimar is actually a city also called the Aegis of Taldor. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's one of the Tald- Taldor's uh, various uh, strongholds. So, I mean, maybe kind of in that region. Okay, well, yeah, let's do that. Let's Zimar from the Aegis of Taldor. Gray from Zimar says, "Hello, FTP crew. Hello. 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 This is my first time writing in. I've been listening to the podcast on and off, starting with Mummy's Mask, due to my love of ancient Egypt." And everyone's knowledge of it was an instant attraction. Egypt is awesome. Egypt is cool. At first, Mummy's Mask was the only podcast I listened to at the time. You all do an amazing job role-playing and doing things in character, as well as, brace yourself, Rick, the fantastic (laughs) job Rick does fleshing out the world and seamlessly telling a story from the book. Well, thank you. (laughs) Also, to throw this out there, um, just because you mentioned following us and loving uh, Egypt as uh, before I started the Mummy's Mask podcast, I listened to a podcast called the History of Egypt podcast by an Egyptologist named uh, Dominic Perry, which I think he's still going. So uh, nice. if you like things Egyptian related, it's very interesting. The audio is a little iffy for like the first like 30 episodes. I feel like mm. that's the case of every single podcast. Pretty much every podcast. Ever. Yeah, that was our case sure. also. <laughs> it, it hurts my ears sometimes to go back to listen to our early stuff. All right. To improv needed when the characters have some backstory or, say, a stray teleport spell from Hollis. Well, thank it's you. all right, Rick. We're done with that part. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. We work hard. We do work hard. The fall of Onuris was one of the hardest parts of the podcast to listen to. It was hard to play. Yeah. God, it was hard <laughs> to play. At the time, yeah. it was a close tie between him and Sudi, who was my favorite. Oh. As the situation got worse and worse, I kept telling myself everything was going to be all right. Hey, I did too. All the way until I couldn't lie to myself anymore. (laughs) It was the first time in my whole podcast listening time I had to pull my car over while listening and let myself feel what had happened. Oh, wow. That's high praise. Also, sorry for making you sad. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was difficult in the room for all of us because we just kind of take a second and go. I left. That there's... (laughs) You always have that thing where, like, maybe we can pull it out, maybe we pull it out, but in the back of your mind, you're, like, you kind of are watching it happen to somebody else because, like, it's just, like, it's almost too real to, like, sit in in such a difficult situation in that episode of, like, wanting so bad to, like, get back to Onuris and, like, you know, give him aid and stuff. And then afterwards, it's just, like, that was our our first uh, on-pod character death, too. So it's, like, Mm -hmm. biggest gut punch. Well, I've, I've been on both sides of the screen, not to preempt any questions or anything that may come up, but it's, I've been on both sides of the screen. And as a game master, you're just going, I mean, the dice it do what, what they're is, going yeah. to do and the monsters do what they're going to do. And, and sometimes you have kind of the excuses a game master where it's like, well, maybe they want to take them alive or something like that. But that definitely wasn't the case here. Yeah. 
And as a player being on the other side of the screen, it's a lot of staring down at your sheet and all of your abilities desperately going. It's like, do I have something? Like, Please tell me I forgot something, something yeah. that would be real clutch in this moment. I, mean, yeah. I get real rules lawyery. It's like, yeah. okay, what rule can save us? Y'all have probably seen like the rules lawyer and all of us comes out yeah. as soon as it, we're, somebody's about to die. But what if? <laughs> yeah. Oh, but did you remember this thing? Yeah. <laughs> no, oh there's, there's nothing you can really do about a critical. No. No, and that that was the the real like, the really worst part about it was like there was literally nothing we could do. It was bad yeah. times. It was yep. bad times. Uh, even now, sorry, continuing. Even now, the loss still makes me tear up. And when the eps ended, there wasn't any more to listen to. So I started up with Hell's Rebels. Okay. Oh, that would suck. I forget people aren't <laughs> like us and they don't have... Well, I guess we did take a break after that because it was kind of holiday season. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know it was. Uh, while it wasn't any more upbeat, getting to hear you all with the new edition of Ross, I knew everything would be all right. True. Ross tends Ross to make things Ross does better. make things better. Yeah, we like yeah. Ross. And now I don't have a favorite character as they are all so well done and played. Aw, awesome. thank you. I'm sure you'd appreciate that were you here to see, hear it. Yes. Uh, I finally audio decided... clip of Ross just insert it here. No, just one that says like, oh, okay. It's like one of his like, you oh, I don't awkward know. awkward like... little like, uh, yeah. Well, thanks, I well, guess. Thank you. Yeah. I can't really do a Ross voice. That's really cool. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And he always trails off at the end. As he, as he gets quieter and quieter and like backs away from the mic. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. We love you, Ross. Uh, I yep. finally decided to write in due to an event happening in my life. And I relied on the Discord. They're a great demon on the Discord. Uh, where I've been getting a lot of help from other members of the community. And I now feel as if I can truly say I'm with you all. Awesome. Thank you all for the love and support you've helped bring into my life. Now go kick that Pharaoh's swing in his final, into his final reward. Yours <laughs> that is great. the plan. <laughs> that is the objective. It. Yeah, the Discord's a great place. Yeah, the I was going to say, I think cool. we say that periodically, but yeah, our Discord community are phenomenal. Yeah. They are the best of humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indeed. Real Indeed. fun to play with. And talk to. Uh, so that, that wraps up Gray. So thanks, Gray. Oh, no question. Okay. No question. Just praise and uh, telling us to go kick some which will get a real swing. Well, there's a swing. Uh, email two also comes from, from California, from SoCal. So oh. this is from Crest of Southern California. Everybody can't just be from Taldor. I just from picked Taldor because grapes. <laughs> SoCal makes me think of beaches and like, you know. Hey, there's good no weather. consistency in how we cast. We can cast them anywhere. Is there like a beach town that has just like beach town vibes? Beach town with beach town vibes. Um, okay, that's very... you do realize there's other parts of SoCal than like Santa Monica, like LA area, yeah, right? But why would I care about them? No, just kidding. Um, I just <laughs> like I the beach. Okay? Wow. Any I was like, man, I've been to the, the inside, inside parts I'm of sure California it's and great. they're fun. I have not. But also beaches are great. I went to a place that in California that literally had like horse ranches and stuff, and I felt like I was in Texas, and it was crazy. I like that too. I like that a lot. I like the big I, trees, the redwood forest. I'm here for that. I as mean, well. I always vote for Nightall. I'm sure they have some amazing, <laughs> creepy beaches. That feels like the opposite of SoCal. Oh no, it feels very LA. <laughs> That's so LA. That is, that's so they LA. all hate each other and themselves. It kind of works. I don't know. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry to everyone in LA. We yeah, just Jess is just gracious. like judging California today. I'm joking. Hey, I'm from LA. Calm down. Jen's from LA. Does that help? I think that's why she's doing it. <laughs> that is exactly why she's doing it. This is secretly a dig at me. I've also seen like I've seen television, and we all know that everything is real on television. 
<laughs> okay. And you can believe everything you read on the internet. Jess is throwing out some hot takes today, y'all. She's yeah. got all I'm the shade. spilling the tea, okay? That's where I'm at. My teacup is full. So Southern Taldor on the coast, <laughs> there is a town called uh, Golsafar, which is a uh, small port town on the uh, the inner sea coast, approximately 90 miles north of the mouth of the Jalrun River. Uh, it is famous for being the site where Grand Prince Taldaris himself, the founder of the nation, saved Golsafar from Becaris the King Eater, a dragon. Oh. Uh, cool. From the dragon's mouth, Tardaris ripped the gold used to create the Primogen crown. That's pretty rad. All right, cool. Also, that, that means cool. that yeah. Gray and Crest could hang out. They're nearby. That is true. Sure. Yep. Just follow the river down to the, the beach. Every person I've ever <laughs> met that's from or has spent a lot of time in LA, I don't think would disagree with me. I'd be curious to hear. You think Night All has those really cool black sand beaches? Ooh, yes. They do now. Yeah. Now. <laughs> if they didn't before, we have now made it canon. Ooh, and a lot of the like the lakes and stuff are those salt lakes that birds land in and they calcify like immediately. That's also rad. That's rad. I love Night Owl. Anyway, moving on. We have an Night email. That's true. All, all right. I'm supposed out. to be running the show. Where is the know. boiling lake? In the real world or the fake world? In the real world. <laughs> There's um, such a thing called the boiling lake? Is it just a really hot Dominica, lake? Dominica. There we go. Oh. Yeah, it's a constantly like boiling, steaming uh, lake. I think it's like nature's wild. Nature is wild. And the second largest hot lake in the world after Frying Pan Lake, located in the Waimaku Valley uh, in New Zealand. I'm assuming these are all like like over volcano, like volcanic activity or something, right? Like that's why they're I boiling. Bet, I bet that there's some yeah, sort of volcanic probably. sulfuric activity going but on. That's but, not uh, what our podcast is about. Welcome to the Volcanology Podcast. Find, find the adventures. <laughs> the Cool Lakes Podcast. Sometimes hot lakes. Uh, so anyway, Crest says, greetings, packed folk. Hello. Hello. First, I wanted to say amazing work on this podcast. Oh, thank, thank you. you. We work hard. <laughs> it is a delight to listen to and was a wonderful introduction to the world of Pathfinder in general. I am happy slash sad over the end of Mummy's Mask. So once more, great work. We feel the same. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Bittersweet. We're getting it's there. bittersweet, definitely. The end is like that. Oh, you know what's the worst thing about ending an adventure path? Going from like level 18 to level one. I want Narmer to get the kill shot on Hakatep. I don't. I want Citra <laughs> to have it. Also, Narmer would never stop talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> we, can't, we can't let that happen. We would have he, to wipe he, it he from his memory. He would probably introduce himself as, hi, I'm Narmer. Pharaoh the Slayer. The, the, the Slayer of Hakatep. <laughs> yeah, that's what it would be. It Nobody would be knows 100% who that is, Narmer. His new, uh, his new intro. Uh, for Rick. Do you think the Mummy's Mask AP can be converted for Pathfinder 2E? I mean, I think anything can feasibly be converted as far as just taking the general plot. Uh, Mummy's Mask might be actually easier than some. Mm -hmm. I think it was... Uh, Especially with the Book of the Undead coming out. Yeah, I believe it was the 14th Adventure Path out of the original AP series for first edition out of 24. So the earlier an Adventure Path is in the the list of first edition ones, the easier I think it's to convert because the, there are fewer monsters and There's so it's the big monsters. Shenanigans town. This was in this AP once monsters. Yeah. Mm. I mean, really, the biggest challenge with any conversion from 1E to 2E, which I've uh, come to understand with Hell's Rebels, is converting treasure. Mm. So almost anything else can kind of be converted pretty easily, where it's just like, here's this coral golem. Okay, well, I'm, I'll just take a wood golem and give it some fishy special abilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the treasure is also it's it's mainly feels like it's difficult because like not all the items line up, Correct. so you can't just do like a one to one mapping. So like yeah, yeah, there's a lot of like just kind of guesswork of uh 
I think this is maybe a hundred gold. Well, yeah, and the treasure values don't line up, and the fact that in second edition, like twenty percent of all of your treasure is supposed to be in consumables, mm. or at the very least, in a higher ratio of than first edition. Yeah, mm. that is, that is my one uh, beef with D and D five e is like they give you no prices for anything, and so like you go into a homebrew thing and you're like, I guess that this is a gold piece. I don't know. Yeah. Like there's literally mm. nothing to base your currency on Do what your at heart all. Feels. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. I just um I feel like in this town this is twelve gold. Wait, you yep. said it was one gold in the last place. I don't have any consistency. Did I write all that? All money down? is no. fake. All money is fake, all currency isn't real, even in the real world, so it's all fine. It's like all we have reverted to the barter system. Everything Good is luck. fake. Reality <laughs> is is fake. <laughs> uh and there's only one of them in the whole town, so it's gonna be more expensive. I don't know. All right, uh, next question. Everyone, forgive me for what is the most common question possible, but how does one handle playing in an AP when it's been spoiled slightly for you, either randomly or because you follow a podcast running it? Surely I thought one of you must have run across this problem before, and I was hoping for the advice. I mean, we're all playing Tyrant's Grasp, so. Okay, yeah. so I have something that was said to me by my professor in college. Uh, she said that it does not matter if something is spoiled for you because knowing what happened does not dictate how it happened. Mm, sure. yeah, so you can and, still enjoy yeah. the story. I have played through the Rise of the Rune Lords Adventure Path twice. And depending on the players, depending on what, who's playing what, things are vastly different. So you can know the major story beats, but just because the doorkeepers did one thing to get there doesn't mean that your party is going to do the same thing. Yeah, the other thing is, if you're the only one that knows, like if the other players aren't aware, then you have to play like you're like the GM's confidant because you yeah. also know the, the secrets, but you're mm -hmm. not going to tell them to the other people and you're just going to kind of like hang on to them so that it's not ruined for them. Yeah, and I will say like having played an adventure path and then like thought about maybe playing it a second time, like you do forget a lot. I may remember some of the the funnier moments that happened in my previous adventure, but that doesn't mean I necessarily remember, okay, there was a secret wall here in this dungeon on this turn, you know, or whatever. So, you know, it's uh, it's possible to replay an adventure path when it's spoiled, um, kind of like what Rachel was saying, but that doesn't necessarily mean it can't be changed also. So like Rick, I know has done changes to adventure paths that we've we've run before for oh, yeah. various any number of reasons, right? Introducing the big bad evil guy earlier or whatever like that. So like, I think especially if it's, you know, hey, you know this major story beat, that doesn't necessarily mean that your GM is gonna reveal that in the exact same way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You can still enjoy a story knowing where it's going to go and not ruin it for others because at the end of the day, everyone should not be metagaming. So that's always kind of a thing that we've fallen back onto over and over again is avoid metagating at all costs. Sometimes you can use that foreknowledge in a subconscious way, and you just have to be somewhat aware of that, where it's just like, I know in this adventure that there's a holy Avenger, so I'm not actively metagaming, but I may just play a paladin. <laughs> you know, it's been said, I think, a few times, but there is, I mean, there's, it's always very, as a person who guesses the ending to a lot of media, um, how you get there is, is usually more interesting anyway. And if you're like me, take a break watch some other thing that's really cool. And then by the time you get back around to playing it, you'll never remember anything anyway. <laughs> okay, not everyone is you though, Jess, Gosh, who doesn't remember I wish when I could she pass, watches Mobase. I could bequeath that ability because it makes, it makes it so much easier to find things to watch because you just don't know if you've watched them or not. Two other quick anecdotes is, uh, one, there's a famous quote from 
uh, Alfred Hitchcock that I'll paraphrase because I don't know it off the top of my head, that basically said you can only surprise someone once, but anticipation is a different thing, which is why Hitchcock loved to show people a bomb. And you, it's not, oh, there's a surprise explosion. You get everyone with a gotcha moment once. It's the anticipation of it. Dramatic and it's the same irony. if you know what's going to happen, where you go, yep. okay, I'm anticipating this. I know what's going to happen now. The other thing is, is that there's another famous director. I can't remember which one that basically said that if, if someone knowing the end of your movie ruins the entire movie, it was a bad movie to begin with. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's the same with the story, that if someone knowing the end of the story ruins the story, it was a bad story. That wraps it up from Crest, so... Hey, thanks for writing in. Yeah. I think it's time to, to cast a person. All right. Me. I suppose it is. Uh, let's go ahead and do a D8, if you do not mind. I will do it. I get a two. Two. Okay, this one should be interesting. So for today, we will be casting Tessa Fairwind. Oh, The mistress man. of Quint, oh, okay. the Hurricane Queen. Ooh. Tessa was born at sea to a human merchant sailor and an elven sacred prostitute of the pleasure salon of Kalistra in Absalom. Tessa's childhood was spent on numerous ships in various ports in the inner sea, and she grew up with the sea shanties and fabulous tales of adventure. Her career in piracy began when she burgled a smuggler's hidden stash with a yacht stolen in Casimir. She captained her first ship at the age of 15, audaciously raiding a Thuvian pleasure barge on the Janarian River. Three years later, to avoid bounty hunters seeking the price on her head, Tessa left the inner sea for the Arcadian Ocean. On the way, she raided Chelish liners near Kahari and Rahadumi ships and villages before arriving in the Shackles. Finding the Shackles to her liking, Tessa began making her name, putting her into conflict with local pirates. Her skullduggery and treachery eventually made her a powerful free captain with a large fleet and the important port city of Quint under her control. I know exactly who I'm casting, and I don't care that it's a cliche. Oh, okay. I, I know I know exactly who you're going for, because I probably went the same way. Uh-oh. I get to go first, though. Huh. It's true. It's true. I have three. <laughs> well, I of course have you do. One, but because I I'm... feel like one of them may get picked, but I don't know. I have two, just in case what I'm thinking and Justice thinking is the same. It's going to be, because I'm going pretty much as cliche as you get on it. So. All right. All right. Okay. Well, don't hold us in suspense. I'm going to go with the obvious choice. Kira Knightley. Yeah, of I course that you are. Yes, pick. of course. She All already right. played a pirate queen once, man. She was she so did. fierce yep. and awesome. She could have red hair, and I love her. Also, I didn't realize she's like 37, so she's like our age. Yeah, she was yeah. 17 when she was first cast in pirates. God, seriously? Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Because like that's I always thought she was older her. than us. Yeah, I always thought and she was older than us. Very fierce, and I love her. I love her in everything she's ever and ever. But I, I loved her as even though that movie was not great. Her as a pirate king was rad, so I'm here for it. So Kira Knightley, pirate queen yeah, slash king. Nope, definitely, definitely the, the obvious choice, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So going to the slightly less obvious choice, um, so I looked at uh, Tessa Fairwind's art, and she has, like, you know, long red hair. She's got, like, a smoldering look, like, just, like, a kind of aggressive look, and uh, immediately made me think of Karen Gillan. Yeah, oh, that was one of mine. No. Yeah, she's yep. good. So uh, K- Karen Gillan is fantastic. She dresses up like a pirate in an episode of Doctor Who to save yes. Rory. Because keep in mind, <laughs> she's been in Doctor Who. She's been it. in uh, yeah. those uh, Jumanji movies. So she's got action chops. Yeah. Uh, she was in uh, a number of movies as Nebula doing, uh, you know, stuff with that. So, like, I think she could really do a good job at, like, the stunt work that I kind of imagine, like, being a pirate kind of comes with. Fair so, enough. yeah, Karen Gillan. Good choice. I made a good choice for once, y'all. <laughs> it was it was I never one of mine good that choices. I picked. 
Uh, I am going to go with Sophie Turner. From, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Most people probably know her from Game of Thrones. Um, she was also Jean Grey in the X-Men movies. Also as a redhead. Yeah. She does look very good at red hair. But she can do, you know, she's she can do the serious and, you know, well, we've seen her in Game of Thrones. And she just popped into my head for some reason. So we're <laughs> going to go with that. And I've seen her in other stuff. And she's re- she's actually a really good actress. Yeah, yeah, she is a good actress. Yeah. Cast Macy Williams for her first mate. <laughs> <laughs> I do love Macy Williams. She's yep. pretty great. All right. Rachel. Oh, man. I still have three. Well, should I go and see if I knock one of your three off? Yeah, go first and see if you <laughs> knock one of mine out. I don't right. think you will. You still have three. So I'm thinking natural redhead, strong commanding presence, like very, you know, authoritative, but still fun. And uh, and honestly, I lo- love her because she's also a giant nerd. Bryce Dallas Howard. Oh, no, but I did have Jessica Chastain, who is basically her twin. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she's in the Jurassic, the new Jurassic Park movies. She was from that swimming movie, that M. Night Shyamalan water movie. What's Lady that called? Lady in the Water. Lady in the Water. Yeah, she was in that, and she was also in uh, M. Night Shyamalan's, what was the other one? Uh, the Village. Gwen yeah. Stacy and Raimi's Spider-Man stuff. She's um, also directed a bunch of super nerdy things. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's she, she's Including, in The Mandalorian. She directed yeah, a couple of the episodes of The Mandalorian, which was great, uh, as well as in Book of Boba Fett. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, Not she's Ron, great, isn't she Ron Howard's daughter? She she's Ron indeed. Howard's daughter. The, uh, the redhead gene was very prominent, apparently, in that family line. <laughs> yes. So, and again, she's just, every interview I've ever seen with her, she's just an outgoing, fun person. But, you know, she's a, she's a literal director as far as films are concerned. And uh, she tends to play these people in very strong, authoritative positions. So I was thinking of Hurricane Queen, that lady. Nice. Okay. So I'm going to mark off Jessica Chastain because Bryce Dallas Howard. <laughs> Pretty much the same person, yeah. Yes, much as if you're casting Kira Knightley, you have to knock Natalie Portman out because yeah, they basically true. look the same. <laughs> Even though they are very different acting styles. Oh, I do love Natalie Portman. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to remember. Kira Knightley, she was Natalie Portman's body du- double in the in Star, the Star Wars, Wars movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. Um, all right. So I'm going to go on. with Evan Rachel Wood. Oh, I like her too. Because I love her. She just has the most commanding presence. I've loved her since like, 13. I don't know I, what yes. she's in. She, uh, I so actually, the first things. thing I saw her in was like an episode of CSI, but um, she's been in Westworld most recently that I think I people would know her I do love her, her in Westworld. Uh, she's fantastic in Westworld. Oh my gosh, so um, good. She was uh, a Sophie-Anne Leclerc in True Blood, and she just wrecked face. I wish they'd been truer to the books because she's a... But um, she's just a powerhouse. She was uh, briefly engaged to Marilyn Manson. Yeah, that's uh, not a lot great. of people know I, her from I, that. That's not something to tout. No, uh, but she's like been digging at him ever since. So you have to look up. She's in a bunch of stuff. She just has a presence. Like she walks in a room and you look at her, and she can wear a power suit like no one's business. Like she just looks <laughs> fabulous in menswear. Love her. I feel sad for our audience who has to make decisions. Uh, this is a hard one. <laughs> this, this is a, a lot one. of These good people great. in this one. Yeah. These are all fabulous women. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, good luck, everybody. Yep. I guess yeah. that's it. Good luck with that. You can uh, vote on the Discord. Uh, the poll will be up sometime the day that this posts. Um, Depends on how early Mikey wakes her up. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, until next time. Mikey, her cat. Yes, Mikey, not, not a random person named Mikey. Not a random person <laughs> named Mikey. Who sneaks into her house just to wake her up. <laughs> Hello, it's time. Not somebody on the Discord so named Mikey that messages her <laughs> one in the morning. Oh. That's so that creepy. That's so weird. Creepy. All right. Well, until next time, good luck and go vote. Go vote yep. on the Pirate Queen. Yep. Yes. 
And tune in next time to our uh, our continued adventures of the Mummy's Mask podcast and see which one of the other three tombs they enter. It's yep. Elemental Roulette. We're saving air for last. Yeah, air has <laughs> well, yeah. to be last pretty air, much. Air has to be last. So you, you got a 50-50 chance, guys. Earth or water. Anyway, bye. It was an thought. Bye. 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 Good, luck. good luck, Pathfinders. Man, those were a lot of good people. That would have been really hard to Oh, pick. that's a rough one. Yeah, we, I love yeah. all of us were like, man, I can think of five or six good people for this one. I know. That's why I was like, I can't break this. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Paths are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.